on this episode of This Calling. I'm Paul Castelli. I'm a priest in the Episcopal Diocese of Michigan and the rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Milford. Welcome to This Calling, Conversations About Vocation. I'm Chris Arnold. I'm a Christian who used to be an atheist, a software engineer who became a priest. I believe God calls us each to our own unique path in this life. I love to listen to the stories of others, where they are, how they got there, and what they've learned along the way. Maybe these stories will help you with your own journey as you follow God's calling in your life. In this episode, I talk to Paul Castelli, an Episcopal priest in the Diocese of Michigan. Here's our conversation. Paul, thanks for talking to me. What, uh, how did you wind up where you are as the rector of St. George's in Milford? God, that's a long story. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, back in 1987. No, um, so, I mean, from the real practical standpoint of, of how I came to be the rector or or how I came to be a priest and then become the rector. I mean, seriously. No, let's, what, what yeah, let's start, let's start with the priesthood first. Okay. Were you always a priest? Uh, uh to to paraphrase Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop, I wasn't always a priest. Um, <laughs> um, I uh, I had been discerning the call to the priesthood and 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 running from the call to the priesthood for about an equal amount of time uh, since I was in my senior year of high school. Um, I kind of. Um, uh, so I, I went to a Jesuit school from seventh grade through twelfth grade, um, and I was so I was one of the uh, token non-Catholics at the Jesuit school, and um, that's where actually through through um, through the struggles that I went through through my adolescence, um, through struggles in faith. Um, uh, doubts doesn't do it. Um, doesn't really quite say it. I I was pretty sure that I was an atheist. Um, I was pretty sure that if there was a God, I didn't want anything to do with him. Um, mostly because of what I knew about the church. Um, I had hated church since I was like seven. Um, I just never fit. Um, and through um, dealing with depression, um, dealing with substance abuse, dealing with addiction, um, that somehow all ended up driving me to the foot of the cross when I was 16, 17. Um, and, uh, as much as I kicked against the idea of faith, kicked against the idea of God trusting in God, God caring about me whatsoever. Um, I had some Jesuits at the school, uh, uh one in particular, uh, father Tom Ryan, uh, who, who's now with Jesus, um, and, and close friends in, in the student body, um, who just never stopped witnessing to me about God's love and compassion that we know in Jesus. Um, and even though I, I struggled with all that stuff, I still went on all the retreats because it was like, Hey, I get out of classes to go on this retreat. Cool. <laughs> I get to hang out with, you know, my friends in a non-class setting. That sounds good. Um, but I started to open up about what I was struggling with, uh, when I was a junior. Um, and uh, talked about the drinking, talked about the drugs, talked about the depression, and talked about the times I almost died. Um, and people were able to show me where Jesus was 
on the other side of all of that, um, where, where God was able to pick up the pieces. And so that was ultimately what led me to the foot of the cross when I was 16, 17 years old. Um, and I, I came to embrace uh, a faith that I could actually feel. Um, a faith that I could actually, uh, stake my life on. And it was, uh, not, not long after that, um, it was the beginning of my senior year. So we're in late 2004, 2004 was like the year that everything kind of came to a head, um, uh, with me in, in that, in, in respect to having some sort of a faith that I could claim. Um, I went on a silent retreat. If you can imagine 48 hours with 15 seniors in high school, high school boys um, in silence. Um, I, I learned that you can have a silent snowball fight. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, we did Ignatian contemplative prayer throughout that whole um, whole retreat. And we had spiritual directors assigned to us. And the, and the only times we talked during that retreat, um, were when we met with our spiritual directors who would give us passages to, uh, read and, and meditate on and journal. Um, and it was in reading the gospel accounts of the call of the disciples, um, that I just, somehow in deeply immersing myself in that story in meditating on it and visualizing it it was this unescapable inescapable sense of Jesus saying to me that that you are called to follow me and be my disciple in this particular way and, and the particular way was that as a priest who is part of a religious community. Now, I grew up Episcopalian, and I had no idea that Episcopalians had monks and nuns and religious friars, et cetera, running around. I certainly didn't know about dispersed religious communities. So in my 17-year-old brain, I, I said, um, well, that must mean that Jesus is calling me to be a Jesuit. Um, and I'm sure that is a conclusion that the Jesuits would have loved to be <laughs> the conclusion. Um, and, and frankly, it scared the hell out of me. I wanted nothing to do with this call. Um, I, I wanted to serve Jesus. I wanted to be a faithful Christian the best I could, um, but that call terrified me. And I think it's partly because I misunderstood the call. I did not hear it correctly huh. in the beginning. Um, and one of the things that that I struggled with, which um, relates very clearly to my multivocational life, um, is that, you know, I didn't know for sure that I was called to be married um, and called to be a parent, but I also didn't believe in closing the door on those possibilities and converting to Roman Catholicism and entering the Jesuits pretty much would slam that door shut and, you know, put some drywall over the threshold <laughs> and maybe a layer of brick too. Um, and I just, I, I couldn't do that. So the, the best answer I could give God at that time was not yet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just went on to the next thing. I graduated from high school and I went to undergrad and I prepared for a totally different life. And I spent um, most of college running. Where was college? College was at Ferris State University. I, I started out as a, a music industry management major. Um, I had false dreams of grandeur. I am not nearly as good of a guitar player or 
uh, singer or songwriter as my 17 year old self thought I was. Um, <laughs> and so, but uh, so even, even the scope of what I wanted to do with that degree changed it changed drastically um, from start to finish. Um, and um, in the end I picked up um I graduated with a double major in music industry management and marketing with a minor in theater arts. It's like a perfect setup for the priesthood. I know when I, when I found out I was going to graduate a semester early, I found it, I, I did not find that acceptable. And so I looked carefully through the different majors and saw what second major can I tack on in my senior year to just add a semester's worth of classes and be able to get two majors. And it turned out there was just the right enough overlap between music industry management and marketing to do that. So, um, and that was with me um, deciding in my junior year that I was going to try to switch to pre-med. That's a whole other, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. A what? I'll, I'll get there. Pre-med. I'll get there. It's a roller coaster. I'll get there. <laughs> so I want to skate back to 16, 17 year old you. That is a lot of change to go from, functionally atheist to yeah. believing however that conversion happened mm-hmm. to thinking that you might be called to the priesthood and to life as avowed religious mm-hmm. were you okay with that change did it feel all right to you did it uh did it show up in 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 ways in your other interpersonal relationships did people say paul's lost his mind what's going on um it's hard to say what people are thinking. Um, I, you know, when I, what, what it came down to is I almost died twice within a span of three months. Um, and that just puts certain things into perspective. Um, and you know, I was trying so hard to be the answer to my own problems. Um, To be the source of my own salvation um, that I realized I couldn't, I, I, it took literally almost dying twice to realize that I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and that I had to, to turn that over to someone else. Um, faith came to me out of desperation. Uh, trust in God came to me out of me, me, um, and, and through, through the help of, of friends, you know, walking me through this saying, look, dude, this is not something that you can do on your own. You need help with this. And and frankly, you need God's help with this. Um, The only person who can save you is Jesus. Stop trying to save yourself. You've seen where that lands you. Um, and, And where it lands me is drunk on drugs and nearly, nearly dead. Um, uh, I had to totally abandon any sense of, um, getting sober on my own terms, which, um, actually even that didn't really take until I was 24. <laughs> um, cause when I, you know, remember when I said in college, I was running, I started drinking again and, you know, when, when I gave it all up um, and decided to rely on God and trust God, what I experienced and what people saw in me was a renewed sense of freedom in life. Um, for the first time anyone know me knew me, I visibly had hope. I I could look forward to a new day coming. Um, I um, could possibly conceive of a future 
Um, I had uh, more of an ability to trust people um, with, with what I was going through and dealing with just an everyday life um, that I had before, because before it was like, Every, everything that comes at you, you got to deal with on your own was kind of where my head was at with things. Um, and what I learned is, uh, I'm one, I'm not too good at that. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but, but that's not really realistic. Um, you know, we are, I'm rambling, but you know, we're, we're not our own source of safety and security and comfort and strength that that comes from outside of us um that that's what god is for us um the uh, uh someone asked um on a on a um, facebook group the other day um what our favorite bible passage is um and it's it's hard for me to isolate a favorite bible passage bible verse but a verse that is of great personal significance to me is psalm 62 too he alone is my rock my salvation my fortress i shall never be shaken um that that's a a verse through my life as a religious that i've been given to spend my life contemplating and um it so perfectly sums up what happened to me when I was 16, 17 years old. You know, it was, it was, it was coming to realize the, the truth of the words behind that verse of the psalm. Um, that God is the only strength and salvation I have. Um, and that it is only through faith in God, through faith in Jesus, um, that, that I can endure everything that life throws at us. Um, everything that addiction throws at addicts, everything that, um, you know, depression throws at people with depression and anxiety throws at people with anxiety. Um, that, that God is the only thing that can get, get me through that unshaken, um, and able to press on and endure, um, and, and frankly, to, to thrive. So back to college, pre-med in your junior year. So, so, all right, look, dude, here's the deal. Um, (laughs) so yeah. Running, running, running. I, I, I was, I was set to be um, originally a, like a tour manager, and then you know I, I kept getting glimpses of of this call to ordination coming back. I, I would miss God. I would miss church. I would go back. It would feel too real. I would run away again. I'd be as purposely as bad as possible because somehow I thought that being called to ordained was dependent on how good I am. Funny thing, God calls sinners. Um, and uh, at some point, my junior well, actually, it was even before that, I remember we had to take, well, all right, Myers-Briggs. Remember Myers-Briggs? Yeah. I was in an organizational management class, and we had to take Myers-Briggs. And, like, my 100th percentile job category was clergy, <laughs> hairstylist, and personal trainer. And I was out of shape, had no sense of passion, have no hair. Um, and, uh, I just kind of quietly ignored the clergy piece, but, um, what came to me through those years, um, you know, relates to in our profession to pastoral counseling and to ministry of healing. Um, and, and what I'd gotten in my head, that kind of wounded healer concept from Henry Nellen, um, that, that, God is calling me to heal people. So clearly I need to switch majors yeah. <laughs> from music industry management and pre-med and, and pursue being a doctor um, because God wants me to, to be, a, you know, to provide healing for people. Right. Again, this was, 
this is about where my head was at then. Um, and, you know, the, the lengths I would go to avoid this call. <laughs> Um, and, and I remember I was sitting down at the table with my parents. I had gone home to announce to them that this is what I was doing. Um, and, you know, my mom made, and, and to this day, she'll say she didn't mean anything necessarily by this. Um, but she said, you know, Paul, you always have been and always will be a healer, but you're not a doctor. Um, and hmm quit your literalistic thinking there's different kinds of healing right i mean so you know sometimes god talks through people without them realizing it um and i think that was something i needed to hear and it took me a couple months to really connect the dots with that one um but yeah there are different kinds of healing that people provide um and different ways that god uses that um, and it, it turns out that, uh, medical school was not part of that plan. Um, at least not for me. <laughs> well, you saved yourself, uh, $140,000 at the very That's right. least. That's right. So, um, you know, it was kind of still that, that back and forth dance of, and I, I went back to church and, um, it, it's, it's like my life is centered on, uh, my, my call story is so, hilariously centered on poor application of biblical text. It's not even funny. Um, so I go back to church one Sunday <laughs> and um, it's, you know, the gospel reading is the parable of the talents. Okay. So anybody who actually knows what talents is can now start laughing. Um, <laughs> um, but the whole time, the gospel was being read and the priest was preaching. And at, at this point it was, I was at a Catholic church cause it was an evening service and they fed the college students dinner afterwards. So it was a win-win. Um, and the whole time I just, I feel like an obnoxious two-year-old is just repeatedly slapping me on the back of the head, like pay attention to what this dude's saying. Um, and, you know, he was talking about um, using the gifts that God gives us and not squandering the gifts that God gives us. Um, and th that took me straight back to that conversation with my parents. And that took me straight back to the results of that Myers-Briggs thing. And that took me straight back to that silent retreat my senior year of high school. Um, and it took me straight back to when I led um, earlier that year the the retreat that seniors go on Kairos as the um, assistant rector of the retreat, um, and it was just kind of this moment of surrender of like, all right, dude, you need to actually seriously explore explore this and actually talk to an Episcopal priest about this and stop running from this thing. Um, that's not actually what I said. What I actually said was I looked up and said, oh, shit. and uh, so the, the next morning I got on the phone with the Episcopal priest in town and said, hey, can can I come in and talk to you? She had no idea who I was. But she said, sure. Um, and we started having a series of meetings. I started attending St. Andrew's Big Rapids, you know, for the rest of my senior year. Um, my fraternity brothers didn't understand why I was suddenly not partying late on Saturdays um, and um, started having regular conversations with her. I, I, we'd, we'd meet and talk discernment type stuff every, you know, maybe every couple of weeks. Um, and at this point, I still didn't know about religious communities in the Episcopal Church. And she finally hands me a DVD and she's like, I think you need to watch this and it was a documentary on the different religious communities in the episcopal church i had no idea that we had them um and uh so that was relieving to to see i was like oh okay i wasn't totally off base with the initial uh interpretation those few years ago um and i don't have to go be a jesuit cool i can get on board with this idea um, so by the time I was getting ready to leave college, um, 
I was pretty sure, okay, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this thing. I'm going to see where it leads me. Um, not knowing anything about how our process works. If you want to hear a hilarious story, the first email communication between me and my bishop ever was me announcing to him as a 22 year old that I was called to be a priest and that I was going on a seminary tour and getting an email back. I kid you not, literally entirely in purple typeface. <laughs> huh. that, that, that pretty much said, pump the brakes. Let me explain to you how this works. <laughs> I admire your enthusiasm, but hold up. Slow your roll. <laughs> wow. That was bold of you. Go all in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was funny. I, I, I had, so this was, this was the fall after I graduated from college and I, um, actually I went to, so the, the church that ended up becoming my church, um, at the time did Requiem masses every month. Um, and so it was like, they would do it, um, every, you know, every October there would be a Requiem mass for every former parishioner who died in the month of October. Right. And, they, and my Nana had died in October, um, one out, uh, one year when I was in college in 2006. And so, um, we went to that and uh, my grandpa introduced me to the priest and and I mentioned that my 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 mom and I were going on a visit to Yale Divinity like the next week or something like that and she said you might want to email the bishop and let him know yeah we have <laughs> Dude, a I had no idea how anything worked I wasn't all right I wasn't even confirmed yet oh <laughs> I mean that's that's how out of my depth and like not knowing about how, for someone who grew up in the Episcopal church, I knew next to nothing about how the Episcopal church worked because once I hit seventh grade and was at the Jesuit school and had religious ed every single day in school, I didn't, I didn't have to go to Sunday school anymore. Right. Yeah. And I didn't want to go to Sunday school anymore. So I stopped going to Sunday school. So I knew nothing. I learned everything I learned about the Episcopal church. Um, I pretty much learned as I was getting ready to get into the ordination process. Hey, better late than never. So when, yeah. when you, uh, so this is 2006 when you, when you said, I'm going to run with this, I'm going to, uh, go with this late, priesthood thing. Uh, late 2008, I graduated in 2009. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Two, two, sorry. 2006 was when my Nana died Two uh, October, 2009 was when I went on that trip to Yale okay. and, um, and, and, it, and on that trip realized, oh yeah, dude, you're not ready. So, yeah. um, so when you, when, when that day happened, when you said, okay, I guess I'm going to pursue this priesthood thing. Did that feel like a great relief or did it feel like Jonah where it's like you, you are getting dragged kicking and screaming towards ordination or did you say, wow, this is, this, this feels like a life giving path. When I surrendered to it, it was a huge sigh of relief. I think I had spent so long running from what hit me clear as a bell the first time um, that do you ever not realize how tired you are until you kind of give in on something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two days ago, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize how much I was just killing myself running from this thing. Um, I mean, just absolutely, um, emotionally and spiritually exhausting myself by, by running, by running away from God and what God had laid out. So we're recording this on Friday and tomorrow is the, uh, the feast, the conversion of St. Paul. When we have, yeah. uh, major feast days on Saturday at my parish, we, we bump them forward to Friday because, I'm I'm going to leave Saturday as free as possible. It's like the only day I get to see my wife regularly. Um, yeah. And then we have an ordination tomorrow. So that's out the window. But, but anyway, so I, uh, I was just celebrating that liturgy right before we jumped on, on uh, this call together. So it's just been put in my mind by the readings uh, that the Lord speaks to Paul and says that it hurts you to kick against the goads. It like, you can mm-hmm. fight against me all you want. You can fight against this call and this conversion, but you're only hurting yourself, my dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see as these episodes unfold, how common a theme is it 
for it to feel like a relief, like a, like a, um, like the pressure is being taken off and the pain stops when we accept what God is planning for us. Yeah. I wonder. Well, and it's funny because, um, when I, you know, just like when I had the brilliant idea to switch to med school or pre-med, like, you know, this, this merited a dinner conversation with my parents and they knew like, they knew I had gotten a sense of this call my senior year and was running from it. Like, like I, I told them as much, um, but the summer between high school and college. Um, and so when I, when I told them like, all right, I, I think I am going to pursue ordination to the priesthood. Um, you know, my mom just looked at me and said, well, you finally made, you finally said something that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so they were supportive. No, totally. Okay. Totally. Um, I, you know, I think they probably, they, they probably thought I was wasting my time the whole, <laughs> the whole four <laughs> years. I don't know. Like, um, cause they, they were just like, I, I think that, um, at least he has a degree know, in music I, industry management. So right. He's something to fall back <laughs> they, on. They, they probably, that's right. They, right. If, if the church doesn't work out, I can fall back on the music industry. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think they thought, you know, there are probably other things he could do, but that um, being a doctor sounded far-fetched. Being a priest did not. I wonder how often people see our vocations more clearly than we do at first. Well, I mean, if we don't have that external affirmation, yeah, you know, I, I, I think in the, in the clearest cases, it come, it's, that's where it starts. So how did you wind up at seminary? So eventually you met with the bishop, I assume, and learned the, learned the right way to do it. Yeah. When I first met the bishop, it was when he was confirming me like the day before my 23rd birthday. Okay. Um, uh, and um, so I, I entered, well, we, in our diocese, we have this nine month, um, discernment class called, ex, excuse me, called exploring your spiritual journey. Okay. Yeah. And I'm assuming that most of the people who listen to this will be Episcopalians, but, um, uh, who knows who's listening to it. So, uh, give us, give us the fuller, uh, definition of any of these things, just, just to help out our non-Episcopalian uh, people or people like you who have, who once upon a time had absolutely no idea how any of this worked. So go through the discernment process at when at the sort of, a, do you begin at the parish level and then move up to the diocese or this nine month thing is a, is that a diocesan program? So, so in, in, in our diocese, um, the, the first step is to take exploring your spiritual journey through Whitaker Institute. Um, and to have your priest, um, you know, knowing that you're taking it and supportive of you taking it, but, um, exploring your spiritual journey is open to everybody. It's not just for people who want to be clergy. It's required for people who want to be clergy. Um, but you know, one of the things is about that, at least when I took it is not going in there with any preconceived notions. Um, really just going in there to learn how to discern God's call in your life and what it is that God is calling you to do and be as a Christian. Um, and, you know, there, there are lay people that come out of that class with um, a clear sense of a lay vocation in their lives. Um, and so, um, but the way that's, that's kind of the doorway into the process here. Um, you, you, complete exploring a spiritual journey. If you feel, uh, if, if there's a sense of a call to the priesthood or the diaconate at the end of that nine month class, you sit down again with your priest and talk that through. Um, and if there is a sense that it's worth going to the Bishop and applying to enter into the process, then, there's a form that you fill out and you and your priest set an appointment and go down together to meet with the bishop. Um, and um, then from that interview, the bishop 
determines whether to or not to enter you as a nominee in the ordination process. I should say that's what the process was. You know, we, we, we have a, a bishop elect who will be our new bishop in February, and, and that, that could change over time. Um, but uh, once, um, once we were made nominees, um, that's when we put together parish discernment committees, community discernment committees um, made up of um, five or six people from our congregation and at least one person from outside of our congregation that meet with us for at least six months um, to uh, see if they uh, get that same sense of vocational call. Oh, so that comes after this nine-month-long Yep. First, the nine months is all about learning how to discern. And what does that what does that look like practically? Do you have books to read and small group discussions and Yep. Okay. Yep. That's exactly it. Did you find it useful? I did. I did. Um you know, we we that that's where my first crack at the spiritual autobiography came out because I had to, you know, do it do it again a couple of times in in the ordination process but we we read um what did we read i can't remember the name of the book we read a book that is fairly common i think for people to read when they're in discernment communities it might have been like listening hearts or something else like that um but there are a series of books that we read on discernment um there's uh there, there's one common book that we all read that's something like Listening Hearts or some other general sort of discernment book. Um, and then we had a list of books to choose from. So I remember I read like Ever, Evelyn Underhill um, when I did that. I can't really remember what else I read. Um, but so books and book reflections and small group discussions and learning how to write a spiritual autobiography and doing that and um so I spent, I was, I was in that uh, class from uh, fall of 2010 to spring, summer of 2011. Um, and then I, I met with the bishop to enter the process that, that summer of, of 2011, um, which is also when I um, it was through that actually that I got hooked up with Anamkara Fellowship because um, exploring your spiritual journey starts out with a with a there's an opening retreat um, and the retreat leader that we had was the founding abbess of Anamkara Fellowship so that's how I found out about that whole crew um, and okay well let's talk about that for a minute yeah since you brought it up yeah so who who the Anamkara who? Fellowship who is this. Um, that's why you have AF after your name. That's why I have AF after my name. And also, so, uh, Anamkara Fellowship is a dispersed monastic community in the Episcopal Church, um, uh, officially under the auspices of the House of Bishops Committee on Religious Life. Um, we are, have a, a Celtic spirit. Um, we, we kind of live and do formation, uh, differently than, than traditional monastic communities that have the novice class and the novice master in the, um, early Celtic monastic tradition. It was way more of a one-on-one thing. Um, the Anamkara Celtic word means soul friend, um, was someone's, kind of formation guide, their confessor, their spiritual director, their friend. Um, you know, legend has it that the whole discipline of spiritual direction kind of comes from that. Um, uh, and so that's how we do our formation. It is that one-on-one pairing. I mean, I, I, you know, if you want to be, make the nerdy comparison, it's kind of like the Jedi Padawan relationship in Star Wars, right? It's, it's, that's a perfect comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, that, that's a huge difference between how we do things and how other religious communities do things. Um, and our, our prayer life, um, you know, as is the case with all religious communities rooted in prayer, rooted in the daily office, 
Um, ours is rooted in Celtic daily prayer from the Northumbria community, um, which oddly enough was always intended to be a stopgap measure um, until we, you know, got to the point of developing our own stuff. And uh, well, it's been, it's been about 20 years. Um, so we, we have created noonday prayer. That's uh, we're getting there. Yeah, the, the church moves slowly. The church moves slowly. Monastic life moves even more slowly. So you discovered this group at, the, at that retreat, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, uh, did you just kind of stick it in the back of your mind and come back to it later? Or when, when did you, when did you join? Um, I was curious about it. Someone was actually, so when, um, at the time that I did Exploring Your Spiritual Journey, they had a retreat for those folks and for folks in the deacon formation process happening at the same time. Um, and so we did worship together. And one of the people in the deacon formation process was received as a companion, um, which is our word for associates, um, during the closing Eucharist. and. So I was just kind of like, huh, what's a companion? What's this all about? This might be a sort of monastic light way to to learn about all this. Um, and so it was like maybe a week or two after the retreat, I, I emailed Sister Barbara Jean, who's the founding abbess, who was our retreat director that weekend. Um, and I expressed my interest to her. I said, hey, um, I'm curious about this Celtic Christianity thing. Boy, that was a trap. Um, edit that out. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I was curious because I'm I'm actually mostly Scottish, and it just it seemed interesting to maybe like delve into those roots a little bit. Yeah, and um, and it was a entree into monastic life um, that that I that I was, that would have been manageable at that time. Right. Um, so I emailed her to ask about it. Well, she's like, well, just, you know, try it on, get, get the book that we used to pray. This is what the companions rule is like. Um, and, uh, pray the prayers and if, and, and try to live the rule. And if it feels right, you know, if you're doing it for a few months and it feels right, apply to become a companion. Um, so I did and it did. So I applied. Um, and so I was, this was like September of 2010. I applied in January, 2011 to be a companion. Um, and I had the reception service, um, at our cathedral, June of 2011. Um, that morning, a uh, cathedral parishioner was clothed as a novice at the Holy Eucharist. And then at Evensong that evening, I was received as a companion. Um, our, our annual gathering was just a, just a couple weeks later. I had no intention of going. Um, and the two founding sisters um, kind of cornered me the evening of, of my my reception as a companion um, and said, um, you know, we really think that you ought to be at our gathering. We want to pay for you to go. And at that point I couldn't say no. So I went and, and I was, I was not, I was the first, um, but not the last member of our community um, to go to their first gathering at, to arrive as a companion and leave as an aspirant. Um, and uh, I, I just, when I was in the community and I was praying with the community and I experienced a second novice clothing and, and listened more carefully to the promises made by the novice, um, you know, towards eventually taking the vows as a professed brother or sister. Um, I, um, I recognized, um, okay, this is, this is something that, th- this is what I've been getting called to. 
So what, what, where, where was seminary? Where and when? What years? What seminary? Uh, 2013 to 2016 at Bexley Seabury when it was still on the campus of Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and uh, so we were the we were the last graduating class out of Columbus before they moved back to Chicago. And uh, so I I was I was the guy who. We decided it would be a good idea to get married the day after CPE ended. <laughs> oh, well, uh, <laughs> to, to tell people what CPE is. Clinical pastoral education, uh, hospital chaplain internship, uh, which a lot of people treat as like a traumatic experience. Uh, I loved it. Um, I was, I was in my element and, in. And CPE doing my rounds. I, uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes there is just something about um, sitting, talking to a guy who's detoxing under a bag of urine for an hour and a half that that draws you closer to Jesus. <laughs> Well, edit that out. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave that one in. You said at the beginning you felt uh, you identified that you had a calling as a healer. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me that that being in a hospital where healing is happening of all, all different kinds yeah. uh, brings kind of integrates your life a little bit. The the greater the crisis to be calm in, the, the more it fit like a hand in a glove. Hmm. Uh, to just bring that calming presence to absolute out of control bat guano crazy situations. Um, uh, you know, I, I ran toward code blues and rapid responses, um, and traumas. Um, that just, I don't know. There is just something, um, there's just something about it. There's something about that internship that, um, well, let's just say I haven't put more CP off the table <laughs> at All some right. point down the road. <laughs> well, we have taken up uh, time, so we're going to bring it on home. We can uh, maybe do a second session and talk about life since the end of seminary, but yeah, uh, but we're going to bring this to a close now. So you are, a member of the NMCARA Fellowship, a friar, is that how you refer to yourself? Brother. 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 Okay. Yep. You're a priest, you're a parish priest, a rector of a priest, mm-hmm. uh, a, a rector of a parish. Rector of a parish. You're married? I'm married. You have a, a daughter? I have a daughter. You live in Michigan? Yep, live in Pontiac, Michigan. All good stuff. All right. Okay. And then do we have time for you to recommend that piece of culture the book the music the movie the video game yeah the whatever I, that you want us to know about well since i can't do velocipaster uh nope, that's taken i you know i thoroughly enjoyed watching the witcher okay on i know netflix, not every, right? on netflix on netflix i know not everybody loved it but i really enjoyed it and it made me um you know, I, I don't have much time for video game playing anymore, but I've I've been sitting on a copy of The Witcher Three since like 2015, and I haven't really played it yet. Oh, I think I wanna... it's very good. Yeah, it's I know. I, I am seeing your disappointment right now. <laughs> no, it's excitement that one day you will fire that up and discover. One day I might plug yeah. it in. Yeah, you have a sabbatical coming up. So. You take three months off and. <laughs> Not, not for a few years, but uh, I have not yeah. seen uh, the the show with uh, Henry Cavill, right? Yep. Yeah, 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 Superman, which I had not seen. So when my wife said, "Oh, it's Henry Cavill," I was like, yeah. "Who?" <laughs> All right, Paul. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, thanks for sharing your most of your life story, and maybe we'll. <laughs> We'll, we'll get the last decade or two maybe in a, a future episode. 
So, yeah, thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. I hope you can salvage some of that. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got at least five or six good words out of you. All right. Thanks for talking to me. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope you get a chance to play Witcher at some point. That day will come. It's very good. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Take it easy. See ya. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Paul Castelli. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with him, be sure to look in the show notes for all the links. You can reach me on Twitter at Apple Tree Pods, or you can find our Facebook page, Apple Tree Podcasts. Just search for that in Facebook and you'll find us. You can subscribe and leave reviews and like the podcasts, all the same stuff that you do with every other podcast. You can do pretty much wherever you find podcasts. We are now listed in Apple Podcasts as well as in Google Podcasts, so that's good. The intro music is Cheerful by Bird, Bird, Bird. And the closing music that you're hearing now is St. Mary's Falls by Tom Ganaway. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Arnold. And I'll talk to you next time on This Calling. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.